0: Backyard Green Films is proud to present this episode of Agriculture with your host, Alara Bowman. Alara and her husband Rick travel throughout the land in their travel trailer, which they have nicknamed Bessie, bringing you stories about their travels and the people they meet. They visit farmers, ranchers, and just about anyone who loves putting their hands in the dirt or their feet in stirrups. In those travels, they have gotten to meet some very interesting people. Here's one of those interviews.
1: Hi, this is Alara. Welcome back to our podcast. We've been on a fiber run in the last few months, which is pretty normal after the Rhinebeck Sheepalooza. Capering celebration? Lama Lama Ding Dong? Hmm. Okay, I understand that next year it might also be the extravaganza, but of course we had nothing to do with that. Really. Truly. Honey, are you sure we have enough E&O insurance? Okay, so it's technically called the New York State Sheep and Wolf Festival, not any of those other more entertaining names, but I guess it'll always be Rhinebeck to me. And Shoopalooza. That kind of sticks. Anyway, fiber's pretty important to all of us, no matter which organism it comes from, or how it gets to our doorstep in time to cover our freezing little hineys before winter hits. But most of us don't think about the front part so much, at least everything leading up to the moment where we open the packaging. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is one of my favorite parts about fiber festivals and wool gatherings. You get to see all that glorious color. You get to bathe your hands guilt-free in a vat full of the softest cashmere, or mohair, or angora, or alpaca, with the completely reasonable justification that you're just testing the softness before your purchase. Five or six people around you are doing the same thing, so you can actually get away with that. But after you do that, you can walk down stalls full of beautiful handwork sweaters, knitted caps, felted vests and skirts, socks you wouldn't mind being buried in, with every color of the rainbow represented. All of this is set to beautiful background music. The ooze and ahs of fellow fiber experts who have just found a new treasure pattern. The soft whirring of spinning wheels as they gently clack along behind the footsteps of passersby. And then, of course, you next find the breed barns, and you fall in love. It starts with a moment where you go to find the sheep that was the main instrument in that symphony of a $400 sweater you just purchased in the nearby stall. You go to see the charcoal glories of a Gotland Grey, or the dusky creams and mottled browns of a diminutive Shetland, or the seemingly impossible softness of a cashmere goat, You stare into the liquid eyes of the mild-mannered Shetland. Or the panicked eyes of the Gotland if it's the second afternoon of the show and that little kid with the ice cream keeps pulling its sticky hands in the stall. You stare into the eyes of this creature and marvel at the wonder of it all. The miracle of how it came to be that something so fulfilling, so welcoming, so brimming with meaning and memory could be manufactured by something that looks so unassuming. A farm animal, really. You fall in love with that little animal, and you prepare yourself to go and buy the other $400 sweater that was sitting next to the first one you bought. You stand up, gather yourself to leave, and then you look into the other face in the stall, the human one. This tired but welcoming face that has been standing next to his or her sheep all day waiting to have you ask about the miracles of the breed of sheep or goat or other animal that they hold so dear. They traveled miles in the day and night to bring this animal to show you on the off chance that you would be interested and might learn to love them a little bit too. The fact is that this shepherd there in the stall has been standing next to his sheep all day, that's true, but he was also there yesterday and the day before that and the day before that. For all its days, as a matter of fact. Many of these humble farmers were there the moment that little lamb or kid or cria took its first breath of air. They sometimes birthed it, periodically nurtured it, occasionally cursed it, and undoubtedly cried over it. You see the sheep in the stall and the shepherd with the tired face, but you can't see the weary body from hours in a truck. Or the strong, yet lanolin-softened hands. The sore back from hauling sacks of grain. The long nights with a sick animal. Or the awful decision as to when it's time for it to be done. The realities of that beautiful thing that, to me, might be a sweater. Okay, I have to admit that at this point, when I thought through all of that, I walked out of the stall and I went to buy another woolen product a scarf, so it wasn't so financially painful, but I felt it was my moral obligation, and I hope you understand. I guarantee you that there will be people in every box store in America this month that will be complaining because the wool sweater on the table in front of them costs more than $40, fussing over the price because that's the only thing they see, and I have to admit I find that incredibly sad. Things that have meaning have a cost and a value. And it's up to us to determine how important that might be. Today, we have a podcast, but it's more of a book reading. When we met with Tammy White at Wing and a Prayer Farm, we found out that in addition to her many other talents, she is a writer. She writes from the heart and from the soul. I read an article that she and her daughter Char wrote called The Cost of Farm Yarn, and as soon as I finished it, I began to gently coerce her into sitting down with us to read it with a recorder going. She's all things gracious, so she was obviously kind enough to do it. Today, you'll hear it as it was published in Taproot Magazine, Issue 36. I am both sorry and glad to say that this issue is sold out. We've put up some links for you to follow if you'd like to find out more about this textually rich magazine for artists, foodies, fiber enthusiasts, crafters, and podcasters. Okay, I don't think they were aiming for us, but you could eat the pages that look so good. Beautiful photography. The Taproot Bunch was kind enough to give us permission to read the story, and they're also going to send us PDFs of part of it, so we'll post that as a visual extra in the upcoming days on our YouTube channel. Tammy's calculated the specifics on the cost of wool right down to the penny, and I hope you look at it. It's startling and humbling. But we didn't include that part in the podcast because we want you to hear her voice. We want you to imagine yourself sitting with us in her wide kitchen, The windows that look out onto the back farm are slightly steamy from the warmth, and the attached porch area is filled to the brim in preparation for the wing and a prayer booth in Rhinebeck, with a display set up all the way across the back wall. Tables are mounded with different yarns and skeins, colorful tags attached. The fish tank is bubbling quietly in the background, and the old cat is quietly purring right along with it. And Tammy soothed us with her gentle philosophy on the reality of life as a shepherd. It's December now, so it's the time of year that many of us start to think about Christmas quite a bit. Can't avoid it because apparently the box stores have decided that nothing is sacred and pre-Halloween is fair game on the Yuletide marketing bonanza. Calm down, Laura. In my childhood, my family was the type that went to church every week, yet moderation ruled. So for us, Christmas meant presents around a tree, lights on the house, and nativity scenes in the living room. For many people, it's about the star in the east, wise men, and a baby in the manger. For others, you can't find any of those things in their book's concordance and no presents at all, darn it. And yet for others, there are definitely lights, but they won't be on the house or you'll have to call 911. But you do get presents for days. No matter which belief or book you call your own, or which star is the one that guides you, there is one phrase from the Christian Bible that has a meaning to all of us shepherds watch their flocks by night has been a bedrock guiding principle for as long as we have had domestication on this planet. For about 11,000 years, we've been able to say this true thing, that every minute of the day on every inhabited continent on this planet, somewhere, a shepherd is watching his flock, doing his best to make every animal safe and well, and strong enough so it and its fellow flock or herd members can survive to fulfill their purpose, no matter what that might be. I can look up at the sky tonight and know that hungry, tired, cold, and weary shepherds have been looking at the same sky for thousands of years, and getting up the next day and doing it again, and the next, and the next. They're still here. Looking at me in the stall with a tired yet welcoming face. I will see them again in that same stall again next year at Rhinebeck. And it makes my soft sweater have a very poignant warmth.
2: The Cost of Farm Yarn by Tamara White and Char White. Our Thelma and Louise yarn, a blend of mohair, cormo, and Cotswold wool, arrived in a large cardboard box shipped from Blue Mountain Farm and Fiber Mill in Pennsylvania. Usually we drop off our fleeces and pick up the processed yarn directly from the mills we work with, but Pennsylvania is a pretty long way away and Blue Mountain was recommended to us for their expertise with long wool fibers. Sometimes shipping is the best option. The boxes were heavy, bulky, awkward, but chock full of the softest skeins, buttery soft and layered deeply like thick cream. Originally off-white, most of the skeins would be transformed over the next few days and weeks into an entire spectrum of colors. Sea kelp green, sky blue, madder red, and sunset yellow. Every dye was naturally sourced, most from our own dye garden, and concocted by Tammy over a series of hours. They were washed, dyed, over dyed, hung to dry, hanked, and tagged by hand. Eventually, they will all be sold, either at the fiber festivals we schlep our wares to, or online, which requires packaging and making trips to the post office. Finally, after all of this handling, the yarn will be put onto needles and knitted up into something wonderful. But the true life of these skeins of wool begins long, long before they come back from the mill. It begins pre-dawn on an April morning with the birth of a lamb. The very idea of this yarn arrives covered in amniotic fluids, lying in the straw, shaking its bewildered head at the phenomenon of suddenly living. Grows over time by feeding on milk, grass, grain, hay, minerals. It thrives because of vaccinations, dewormers, supplements, pasture rotation, companionship, and persistent care. For farm yarns, the yarn is the animal, and the animal is alive. There are thousands of small things that contribute to a single skein, and so it can be difficult to arrive at a singular point of value for the end product. For a small farm yarn farmer, deciding on the cost of a skein of yarn is a little like trying to calculate how much compensation a full-time caregiver should be paid for raising a child. Putting a price on the minutes and hours, days and weeks, months and years that go into managing the flocks that bear the fiber is nearly impossible. There are numbers aplenty nonetheless. We can note the cost of a bag of grain, a bale of hay, and we can determine the amount of feed, roughly, that goes into a fiber-bearing animal per year. We can determine the cost of the animal's purchase, of its upkeep, the cost of professional care, the expense of the facility used for housing. Rent and property taxes are figures that exist. We can calculate power resources expended on a flock, such as gas and electricity. But beyond the more easily tabulated sums—grain costs, the costs of a bottle of rabies vaccine— there are the abstract costs of the time, energy, and expertise of the yarn farmers, who most often do not pay themselves. How do we work out the hours of sleeping with one eye open while we listen for coyotes prowling and howling at the perimeters of our night pastures? How do we figure the hours of afternoon chores that have bled over into the evening, past dinner time, even past bedtime, and into the wee morning hours while we sit with a ewe that is having a slow or difficult labor? How much do we pay ourselves for the physical and mental stamina required to assist and facilitate nursing between an engorged mama and a weak baby, a fluke that makes it start rough? or the complications from a minor surgical procedure that has yielded an infection requiring weeks of care and special accommodations. No farmer expects to be compensated for these hours. It is part and parcel to the vocation of shepherding. We do it because of a passion for nurturing and cultivating a natural life cycle that goes back 6,000 years. The innumerable benefits of the symbiotic relationship between animal and land could be considered payment enough, the satisfaction of doing something good and healthy in a world gone crazy. The justice of assisting in the production of natural fibers in a synthetic culture is another one of the returns of this trade. But unfortunately, another psychological compensation doesn't pay the rent, so to speak, and we must put a price on our labor so we can put a price tag on our flock's decided and deliberate product. How, then, do we determine the monetary value of the life's labor of these animals and their farmers? In this essay, we will endeavor to break it all down by sharing the expenses and the time that it takes to bring wool to market. Let us walk through the production cost of a skein of yarn, starting with the animal that bore the fiber. For this example, we have chosen a ram from one of our fine-wooled breeds a Cormo sheep named Peter Pan. We will calculate the approximate cost of a four ounce skein of his fiber. Determining the true cost of small farm yarn helps us find value in this miracle fiber, even beyond the monetary sense. What does wool bring us and how can we support and plan for its continued production in the future? This annual cost of one skein from a singular member of our flock is as close and realistic an estimate as can be made based on one year's worth of harvested fiber. These amassed numbers do not try to capture fluctuations caused by weather, stress, health problems or other uncontrollable natural forces, nor the political and economic climate which can also affect pricing. We assume these costs based on averages from past invoices from suppliers and past production expenses. Labor estimates are minimal and based on skilled, experienced labor. They do not take into account the learning curve of new help, nor our farm's time investment in our educational mission. There are more than 30 million Americans who enjoy fiber arts, such as knitting, crocheting, and weaving. According to the National Needle Arts Association, yarn sales average $158,000 annually at the country's 1,800 to 2,000 yarn stores. Yet only about half of these stores are earning a profit. To be profitable, the markup must cover operating costs such as facility rental, utilities, salaries and taxes. For local yarn stores, calculating an appropriate profit margin markup means the difference between short-term and long-term sustainability. It is a balancing act. The price of the skein of yarn needs to be low enough to be affordable to customers, but still high enough to generate a profit. Keystone is the retail term for the typical 50% markup. The 2-key is a 100% markup and 3-key is a markup of 150 percent. Local venues and the farm itself are the least costly venues and require less markup on the product because of fewer and lower costs to market there. Generally, metropolitan areas demand a 3-key markup because of expenses such as renting facilities, hiring extra labor, transportation costs, parking garage fees, and marketplace expenses. Obviously, when placed next to a silk, wool, nylon, acrylic blend commercial yarn at $12.50 to $15, Peter Pan's 4-ounce skein of sumptuous 100% naturally dyed farm yarn retailing at a 3-key markup, $82.44, is far from competitively priced. We must work with customers and the local yarn stores we serve to find a balance that will put our flock's yarns into the hands of the public. Small businesses perpetually burn the midnight oil to keep the doors open in this age of industrialized goods. Small farms are no strangers to the struggle, and farmers wear many hats to keep their farms afloat. On our farm in Vermont, we not only make something saleable with every bit of fiber we harvest from our flock's, but we market as many products and services as we can, scratch-baked goods, fresh eggs, and online subscriptions, as well as participating in the local agritourism industry. All of this makes it possible to keep the lights on, the taxes paid, the animals fed. We pay ourselves a nominal wage that does not include benefits. Whenever possible, we barter our farm products for goods and services. High-quality products and education of the public go hand-in-hand in in the success of a small-scale yarn farmer. Because the product that we sell is the opposite of perishable farm goods that must be frequently purchased, we must work hard to find more new customers whenever opportunities present themselves. Consumable perishable goods are commonly purchased in marketplace settings to feed households whereas fast fashion and the industrial age have diminished the need or interest in farm fiber as a source for textiles or other uses. In the interest of supporting the flocks, we need to advocate for wool, advocate for small farms and slow fashion, and speak on behalf of the environment to stress the importance of the work of our farms. There are many intangible rewards of small-scale fiber farming. Our relationship with the flock the land and Mother Earth, our inspiring community, and engaged and appreciative customers. The peace of mind that goes with this vocation. Our satisfaction in a good night's sleep after a hard day's work. And there's no doubt that the finished twist of soft, natural spun wool, a culmination of the seasons, has an unidentifiable energy in your calloused hands. This brings us back to the question of how we, as a society, as a whole, can support wool and plan for its continued production in the future. The simple answer is this, love wool, and get in touch with your local fiber farmers who raise the animals that produce this natural, biodegradable, breathable, insulating substance. Love wool, and learn about the process it takes to turn one season's fleece into yarn. Support the small farm industry, not simply monetarily, but with your attention and a willingness to learn. Love wool, and teach others to love wool, and celebrate the sheep that grow it and the plants that dye it. Sing its praises, clothe yourself and your home in it, and know that, when it is time, wool will return to the earth with as much honor as created it. If you liked
1: our podcast, please subscribe. This is how we keep going. And please ask your friends to join us. Please also feel free to post any comments or questions to our social media sites. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook under Backyard Green Films. Thanks again for listening.
0: like to thank Tammy White from Wing and a Prayer Farm for writing this article and reading it for us today. Also, a very special thanks to Taproot Magazine for their fine work and for allowing us to broadcast this to you today. If you'd like to find out more information, please visit winginaprayerfarm.com and taprootmag.com. Also, please support your local farmers. We'll see you next week with another adventure. You have been listening to Agriculture with your host, Alara Bowman. Please tune in for more upcoming episodes from our travels. I'm Rick Bowman, your behind-the-scenes editor. Until next time. This has been a presentation of Backyard Green Films Productions, all rights reserved, copyright 2021.